0: morning. Our scripture this morning is in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, or page 695 in your p Bible. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. This is the word of the Lord. Love that piece of song. Some of you knew that, right? You guys know that. Okay, it's beautiful. Oh, big ups. Okay, um, and so appreciative of uh, of um, Lee's strong words that I think were raw and real and honest uh, regarding our topic today. This is the second in a series uh, called "The Journey of Overcoming." Uh, last week we talked about the journey of overcoming fear and. Heard a great uh, testimonial by our own Brian Bonds, Um, uh, and and next week we will actually hear from a friend of Lorna Reeves who's coming in from Las Vegas, who is a former Wiccan and uh, who has also battled depression, and that's what we're talking about next week is the journey of overcoming depression, so I hope that you'll be there uh, for that as well. All of these are called a journey because indeed it is a process, as you well know. Uh, Unforgiveness is, is a challenge. And it's something we need to work with, and it it rubs up against a lot of what society tells us to do. And sometimes that even infiltrates the church, uh, you know, inadvertently sometimes. When I was a senior in high school, I was asked, because they were low on first grade Sunday school teachers, one Sunday morning to come in and talk. And I wasn't prepared or anything, but they said it's about forgiveness. I thought, oh, I can kill on that. So I got up, and I was thinking I was being really good... um, you know, improv person and just really laying it on them for about 20 minutes, and they were getting it, you know? Had them right there and everything, and and just said, man, I've got them. Uh, They get it. Forgiveness, everything. And I thought, I can even quote Jesus, and they'll finish it. And I said, I remember I stopped and said, so you know, when it gets down to it, Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, what? Kid in the back, raised his hand, hit him with your left, is what he said. Well, that's what society says a lot of times, is to retaliate, to, to get even. It really is one thing to receive forgiveness. It's a whole other thing to offer it up, isn't it? Especially when it's difficult. Uh, who comes to your mind Wh- whom you find it difficult to forgive because of how they wronged you, how they insulted you, how they slandered you, how they gossiped behind your back, how they stole from you in some way, how they were abusive to you in some way? And as you know, the list goes on and on. It's difficult, extremely tough to forgive. Well, how important is forgiving others to Jesus? <laughs> Very important. <clears throat> of course, he was the ultimate uh, person and sign of forgiveness, but it's so important to him even during his earthly ministry that he offered up an outrageous statement along with an outrageous story to make his point. And by the way, you can look in your outline here in your bulletin if you want to follow along that way. Um, and you can watch up on here, too, on the screen. First of all, he makes an outrageous statement, which was read just a moment ago. Let's look at it one more time, Matthew eighteen twenty one and 22. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times, good biblical number. Not just a good biblical number. I picture Peter thinking, this is good, because back in that day, rabbis usually said, try to forgive somebody three times. And if that doesn't do it, you can get even however you want. That was the understood norm in that society. So Peter says, okay, I'm going to double that and add one for good Christian measure. So he's anticipating Jesus saying, oh, Peter, why can't all the disciples be like you? Good answer, good answer, family feud. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, he says, seven times, waiting for affirmation. (laughs) Jesus says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 490 now, I know some translations say 77. I don't agree with that based on the Greek. But regardless, what is Jesus saying? you got to keep forgiving. you got to keep forgiving over and over again. And it is indeed a process, and you need to do it. Even if it's a discipline you have to undertake, you have to do that. Well, is it possible? Think of someone who's done you wrong in some way, and they're difficult to forgive. Is it possible to do that? Yes. It is possible, but it's not easy, and we can all confess to that. And, and, and again, I'm sure the disciples are thinking, are you kidding, Jesus? Do you really mean that? And, and Jesus obviously anticipates that, so he moves from an outrageous statement to an outrageous story. Let's look at this. Going on with verse 23 and forward. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, millions. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, "Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all." Now, already this is a joke. It it, it makes no sense. It's absurd. And the disciples and others listening get that, and they're probably already chuckling because this is an outrageous statement by this man. Do you know how much time he would need in order to pay back that debt if he's making about $80 a year? It would be hundreds of thousands of years. And so the people already see the outrageousness of this. It's an impossibility of him to be able to pay it back. So it's a joke. Well, that's Jesus' point so far. This guy is in way over his head. But then there's this wonderful, unexpected twist to it all, verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Released him and forgave him. We'll go back to those verbs in just a minute. Released him and forgave him. So again, he cancels the debt. Just says, okay, no problem, you're forgiven. That whole debt. Millions of dollars is forgiven now, so the story's getting even more absurd. And then you go to verse 28, and there's an additional part of the plot. The plot gets thicker here. But when the man left the king, this is the guy who was a debtor, right? When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment, His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Same statement that the guy who was a debtor and who has suddenly become a creditor in an instant, same thing he says. He begs, be patient with me and I will pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. What's getting even more outrageous, isn't it? Uh, I think it says in some translations 100 denarii, one denarii is what a, a blue collar worker back then would make in a day. So you know, times that by 100, maybe $1,000, couple thousand dollars that he's owed. Now, but but think about it. This first guy, it's as if he just won the lottery. I mean, really, millions and millions of dollars. First thing he does, he leaves and goes and seeks out this guy who owes him a thousand or two. Again, a lot of absurdity going on here. Now the part of the parable that makes people nervous, has made people nervous through the years, makes people wring their hands, because this is Jesus talking. This is how he wraps up the parable. Look at this, starting at verse 31. "'When some of the other servants saw this, "'they were very upset. "'They went to the king and told him "'everything that had happened.'" When the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the, this is how it ends. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What? How do you deal with that? From the lips of Jesus, what do you do with that? And I, and I would love to show how we could unpack that and everything and talk about biblical literature. We don't have time, so let me just offer this up. Jesus is employing hyperbole, first of all, which he does frequently, talking about straining a net and swallowing a camel. What did he say about a rich person? It's harder for a rich person to get into heaven than what? For a camel to go through what? Do you remember? I have a needle. Um, if your right eye sins, you, sins against you, what are you supposed to do? Pluck it out, throw it away. That's why I'm not a fundamentalist. Okay, now, uh, again, he's using hyperbole to make an important point. And oftentimes Jesus, and he does this with parables and sometimes with his teaching, he lets the ambiguity of the analogy kind of hang there (laughs) just to jolt us a little bit and make us think about it and ponder it more than a few times. And when you ponder it more than a few times, clearly, and this is Jesus' intention, you discover multiple teachings, multiple things he wants you to know, multiple layers, really. And so let's just walk through these. Uh, uh, I think you've got those in your outline. Number one, the first thing it's saying is that we cannot really offer forgiveness until we really receive forgiveness ourselves. You know, the first man offered forgiveness, or let me say the first man was offered forgiveness for his debt, that he couldn't repay, but he really didn't receive it. He was forgiven, but he really didn't receive it. If he had really received it, he never would have treated that second man the way that he did, who just owed him really, by proportion, a few bucks. You know, grace is only grace if it works both ways. The extent to which we are willing to give grace reveals the degree to which we Have received grace. Can I say that again? The extent to which we are willing to give grace reveals the degree to which we have received grace. Let me put it another way: the reality of grace in your life is the extent to which you offer grace and forgiveness to persons who have wronged you, especially those who deserve it the least. Then you find out how much grace in your own life is real. We pray it every Sunday. We did a few minutes ago. Forgive us our trespasses, as we what forgive those who trespass against us, you know, to the degree that we can fathom God's forgiveness for ourselves, to that degree we are called to give that same kind of forgiveness to others. When we struggle to forgive someone, are we realizing the gravity of our own sin and the grandiosity of God's grace and forgiveness toward us? I shared this with one of my classes, this, this, uh, last week. I just read it for them, my ministry class, because I thought, I want to see what they have to say. And there's a guy in there named Curtis Ford, and I think Curtis has not been a Christian as long as most of the people in that class, but he wants to go into ministry. And I said, how do you deal with the last part of this parable? Because it looks really severe. And, And I asked some people, and Curtis was one of the last ones to speak, but I loved what he said. He said, well, what it's saying to me is we never had the right not to forgive in the first place. I liked that. We never had the right not to forgive in the first place because we have been so forgiven. We've been so forgiven. We don't have the right not to forgive. I mean, you can look at Colossians 3.13, and it's very basic but so profound. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's a very simple maxim, but a profound mandate that we're called to follow. So how real is God's forgiveness in your life It's real based on how you can forgive others. Okay, secondly, by failing to forgive, we place ourselves in a painful prison. I mean, the word torture is in there, right? Now, the master gave this second man, who was not showing forgiveness and grace, over to jailers. But the thing is, the jailers were really his own inner idols, his own pride, his own sin. Really, in a sense, he was his own imprisoner, if you will and he imprisons himself. Uh, We could go to Romans 1, where where these people are unrepentant in their sins, and one of them could be the sin of unforgiveness. And what does it say God did? Therefore, God gave them over to their sins. In other words, really, this prison is self-inflicted by this man who would not forgive. As I've studied this passage, I've Come up with a couple of equations. Let me give you the negative one, then the positive one. The negative one is this unforgiveness plus hatred equals bitterness. You know, over time, if you don't forgive, it will eat at you. I think Lee shared that with us. She got to the point where she realized that was the only way to find healing and release was to forgive because the bitterness can consume you, it can fester, it can get so much worse. I appreciate what Chuck Swindoll says about that. He says, There is no torment like the inner torment of bitterness, which is the byproduct of an unforgiving spirit. It refuses to be soothed. It refuses to be healed. It refuses to forget. There is no prison more damaging than the bars of bitterness that will not let the battle end. When you fail to forgive, you can place yourself... In a prison of bitterness. I want I want to just take a moment one more time and just who who comes to the surface of your mind and your heart? Somebody that you need to move away from unforgiveness and move toward forgiving them. Who comes to mind? Because you can lock yourself in a prison if you don't. Thirdly, GGT, God's got this. God's got this. I think part of what Jesus is doing here is jolting us in a way that we can recalibrate our minds to remember that He is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is holy, and God is the only truly righteous judge of humanity. We can take the collective knowledge and wisdom of all of us in this room, do you really think that we're going to be close to God's capacity to judge righteously? Absolutely not. You could take every good Christian in the world and put the minds and hearts together No way can we judge in a way that he can. There is only one who can judge comprehensively, who knows all of our inner motives as well as our outer actions, and only he can be the judge. So rest in that. Trust that God's going to take care of it. What does it say in God's word? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'll take care of it. He's the one who sees it from the proper perspective. He'll handle it. You know, and I'll say, ultimately, those who are indeed unrepentant are a people to be pitied. If, if they are considered unrighteous by God in the long run, they are a people to be pitied. Um, many of you remember, how many of y'all remember Whitney Milton, who married David Milton? and she was, How many of y'all remember Whitney? She wonderful. Uh, was fixed up by Belinda Thomas with David, and they got married. Well done. And... Uh, Just a lovely, lovely person and a wonderful couple. Right now they are at Denver Seminary, uh, and they're studying to be pastoral counselors for people who are coming out of human trafficking. And you may know, some of you know, that Whitney and her parents founded Make Way Partners, which is a marvelous ministry that's local here that combats uh, human trafficking here and across the globe, primarily in the Sudan and some places in Europe. And just incredible, incredible ministry uh, going on. But I remember I I used to always have Whitney come speak to uh, my ministry classes just to talk about that kind of ministry. Uh, What's the other wonderful ministry in town? Is it the Well House? Is that the name of it? It's a great, great ministry. And uh, Whitney knows those folks too. But she started talking about, you know, the traffickers themselves. And and she wasn't making judgmental statements, but she was just saying this is what they do and this is how they do it and this is how they, you know, uh, uh, program and, and, and groom these uh kids you know for this horrific stuff and I, I you know i just after a while i remember and i said it, i thought i said it under my breath but i said it apparently loud enough for everybody to hear but but i just said i so don't envy them and, and i kind of looked up and everybody was looking at me and I, I i did i said i so don't envy them i said i pity them you know this book says their end is destruction And that's exactly what it is. It is is for all unrepentant people who should know better. Now, I'm not saying I'm the judge, and as I listen to that, there may be some, even a human trafficker that will have a change of heart and everything. But if not, I don't envy those people. (laughs) Uh, I, I really pity them for what awaits. And only God knows where everyone's heart is. And all this to say, he will set things right. He is a just God. In the long run, he will set things right. Let him handle it. And you move toward forgiving. Fourthly, forgiving others releases them and you. And I think Lee put this beautifully at the end that this really is starting to release her toward healing. Let me give you the positive equation as I study this passage love plus forgiveness equals release. Do you remember those two wonderful verbs that we saw in verse 27? The man was forgiven and he was released. And you know, when, when Jesus died for you, obviously, you were released from your unforgiveness. And, and let me say, you were released from undeserved forgiveness. What a gift. And yet, here's another gift. When you realize your perpetrator has done you wrong, but when you release that perpetrator with your forgiveness, you are releasing yourself toward the road to healing. And that really is, as Lee said, that's really the only direction you can go toward ultimate wholeness easier said than done but but you got to do that and you're you're never going to be asked to forgive more than you've been forgiven yourself and don't forget how miraculous it is that you and i are forgiven at all i love psalm 130 verse 3 (laughs) david just says lord if you kept a record of our sins who O lord could ever survive how true thank god his grace is greater than our sin And it's greater than our hurts. Someone put it this way. The key to giving grace is to start thinking less about what's been done to you and start thinking more about what Jesus has done for you. So release your unforgiveness and release yourself to that healing from the bitterness, the anger, the conflicted soul that's residing within you. And finally, forgiving those most difficult to forgive is a most powerful witness. Now, Jesus is the ultimate witness of forgiveness, no doubt. But well, with the help of the Spirit, which is our theme for the year, we can be powerful witnesses as well. Powerful witnesses of forgiveness. And instead of me talking about that some more, let me let you see a wonderful sermon in and of itself in this rather outrageous video. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in '05.
1: Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for Dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report. I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor Police Officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Basically, the start of that day, I was gonna make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail. Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town. Maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And i just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that i don't deserve that you know did you forgive for his sake or for yours no for our sake not just us for our sake jamel went on to tell me about his christian faith and his hope for a kinder (laughs) mankind he wants to be an example so now he and andrew Give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption.
0: Grab this, we'll set it over there.
1: And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse?
0: Got a wonderful story and a powerful witness. And I love what he said that I didn't do that just for me, I didn't do it just for us, I did it for really the kingdom. Now I want you to think one more time. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper here, but I want you to uh, take a few minutes before you come up here. And I know we kind of do it row by row, but if it's a little awkward, it's a little awkward. But but I want you to to consider someone whom you, in your heart, are still forgiving, and pray that God would give you the guidance and the wisdom and the grace to forgive that person. And, and then, and then, please feel free to come up and partake of. The meal. But, but but let this time of celebrating the Lord's Supper be bathed in a prayer of forgiveness for someone, recognizing how you yourself have been forgiven. Uh, so I'd like to ask that we pray for just a moment and if the band can come on up and, and be ready. Lord, we ask that you be with us right now and, and <laughs> this could be awkward in, in a couple of ways, not just logistically, but but difficult because someone obviously comes to our minds whom we find difficult to forgive, let alone to love, and yet that is what you embodied so fully on the cross as you died for us, and indeed broke your body, shed your blood for us. So, as we remember and taste the sacrifice that you made for us, may we sacrifice our pride and our hurt and our bitterness and our anger that we might be more forgiving the way you first forgave us. Help us to leave here more whole, more healed, more released, not just by your forgiveness, but by our forgiving. We pray these things in your name. Amen.